0: I'll give them time to do sectionals um and my section leaders are just like okay so we need to do this we need to go over this we need to go over this they'll have their own little list of things that they need to go over and they're like nope Pittman's not gonna accept that let's go back and just do it again and it's like like I said again you know giving the kids that ownership and once they buy into it once they buy into the vision once they hear how amazing it sounds they're like oh no we can never
1: be any less than that welcome to the choir baton a podcast designed to engage with people and stories ideas and inspirations stemming from choir no other art form No sport, no hobby, no business requires a group of people to execute a communal goal with just their voices. Join me, your host, Beth Philliman, as I interview guests who are singers, teacher conductors, instrumentalists, and community members. Together, we'll ask questions, seek understanding, and share insight from our experiences in life and in choir. Well, welcome to our newest guest of the Choir Baton podcast, Ms. Shante Pittman. Welcome, Shante. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. Absolutely. It is, um, I was telling her right before we started, it's, I, when I was pulling up her email, it was a year ago this week that Shante held a Choir Baton, and I distinctly mm-hmm. remember it because you are our first Georgia baton holder, and I'm from Georgia, So it was like a, I was like, oh, my home state.
0: (laughs) So much fun.
1: And it was an amazing takeover. I remember it distinctly. Um, And then it's just been really fun to kind of follow you since. And I feel like in the past year, especially you, you've kind of like grown and putting more stuff out on social media too. Is Mm -hmm. that fair?
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And then through that I've been like, we have even more similarities because you went to undergrad in Nashville, Tennessee. I went to undergrad in Nashville, Tennessee and all the things. So um, this is our first conversation face-to-face talking. So um, I am kind of, I'm very curious to learn about your trajectory but then also I know you on some level because of how you've actively grown to be sharing more on social as well. So I'm excited to get into Mm -hmm. that, but let's start. So are you from Georgia originally?
0: Yeah. I'm from Georgia. i um, born in, well, I was born in Atlanta um, and grew up in Clayton County, graduate of Clayton County. So shout out to Clayton County, Jonesboro. <laughs> I love it.
1: And then, and then you went to college at TSU, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then t- at TSU, Tennessee State University um, in Nashville. And were you music ed there?
0: Mm-hmm. I was music ed. I was actually instrumental music ed. So yeah, I played the flute since I was in sixth grade. So we're not gonna add all those years up,
1: but <laughs> yeah, yep. Okay, I love it. When did music really enter your life?
0: Like, or when did I, it not? <laughs> my mom says I was singing like before I was talking. So I would say two. Yeah, so uh, lifelong. Yeah, yeah.
1: Did you know <laughs> that you wanted to be a music educator.
0: I knew I wanted to be a teacher um when I was in kindergarten I tell the story all the time to my kids I was like um I would finish my work early and then I would help my classmates and I would get in trouble for helping my classmates (laughs) and so I knew that I wanted to be a teacher um I was thinking that it was either going to be history or language arts um in in elementary school and then when I got into middle school that's when I started band um and I got more into that and then when I got into high school I was in 10th grade I was um like one of the youngest drum majors um in the marching band and I was like I really like this so and I've had really good music teachers so I think I want to do this and there you go
1: (laughs) So I feel like for so many people, once they decide they become want to become a music teacher, then it's like, oh, crap, where do I go to school for this? What made you choose TSU?
0: I applied to a couple of different schools. Um, it really just was, who's giving me the best scholarship? <laughs> who's giving me the best scholarship? And I wanted to march in um, a traditional style marching band. So um my high school was core style um and i wanted to have a different um a different experience because i said well if i teach in whatever um setting that i have i want to be able to be knowledgeable for both things so i was kind of thinking long term long long in game
1: even though i wound up not teaching band at all <laughs> You left the dark side of the band, instrumental world. (laughs) Hmm, hmm. I love it. And so, but so TSU doesn't have the core style.
0: No, they are show style, traditional. TSU has been all over um, the news. They actually were a part of the inaugural um, celebration, which is so cool. Um, But yeah, um, I was there. um, I was in the wind ensemble. Um, I was section leader for two years. I was section leader in the marching band. I played piccolo. Um, So it was a lot of work, but it was so much fun. Cause we do a lot. It's, it's kind of like you're on tour for a whole semester. Cause you know, we, whenever we go to football games, we also do like community service things. Like when we go, um, to play Jackson state in that Na- and Memphis, um, we always go to Lebronner um, hospital, children's hospital. Um, and we will go and we'll have like a little parade for all the kids and then we'll go visit. Um, so it's really cool. Um, I appreciate, um, Dr. Prof, as I call him, Dr. McDonald, who's the head of bands uh, at TSU for the that experience, because um, he's steadily been one of the per, uh, one of the people who've been like like cheer me on throughout. You know, me becoming a course teacher because he's like, you know, I don't know if I approve of that, but I was <laughs> like, well, you know, tell these people to hire me. How about that? But yeah. <laughs>
1: So I mean that in and of itself is like a hard world to enter as a female band teacher. I can't yeah. imagine. Real quick though, I just want to touch on also for my clarity the difference though between show style and core style marching band for even choir folks like myself that weren't really raised in the mm-hmm. band world. What is that?
0: Yeah. So um, traditional style is actually um, the original style for military bands and then it went to kind of like an eight to five roll step and that's core core style so when you think of traditional you would think of drum and bugle corps except with woodwinds and then um show style or, or traditional style is more pageantry um so you have the drum majors with the maces um and uh sometimes the dance routines, the different type of drill organizations. So it's really cool. Um, It's just different. I mean,
1: it's just different. (laughs) The band world is like, I I hesitate to say like Narnia, A, because I've never read any of those books. So I don't really know what I mean when I'm saying Narnia, but like, it feels like this other world of like, yeah, yeah.
0: It's it's definitely different. it's weird. I'm I'm thankful that I have experience in both worlds because really, um, how I approached my my teaching in the course the course world is a little bit different, and I think my kids are a lot thankful for that. Um, but we'll talk about that later.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I mean, we could even jump into it now. How how would you say you approach it differently? Um, when I
0: was in undergrad, it was like, it felt like sometimes when I was in classes with uh, choral students, no offense to any of my old classmates, um, <laughs> I didn't know how to read music. Right. It's so <laughs> always that, that stigma that, oh, they don't know how to read music, blah, 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 you know? And I'm just like, mm, okay. I mean, I didn't experience that for myself. But I made sure that that was one of the main things that um, I talked about um, in my classes. And I still do to this day. I was telling my kids, we sight read every day that ends in Y. <laughs> so that's every day. And they already know oh. it. They know it. And they're like, "Miss Pittman, we skipped over sight reading. I was like, oh, let's go back. And then everybody's like, oh my God. <laughs> but now, you know, my advanced kids, my intermediate kids, you know, my beginners are getting there, but they're starting to see like, when they're able to actually like sight through this and take ownership of it, um, things go faster and I don't have to yell as much. <laughs> and so, you know, when they take ownership of it, it, it really just changes things, it really, Puts the ball in their in their hands. So I really, um, <clears throat> I tell my um, tell my colleagues this all the time. I was like, don't don't lower your expectations. Don't lower your expectations at all. But if it's a matter of you not being able to know how to teach, there's plenty of teachers out here that will help you figure out how to best reach your kids. Because you know sometimes how they teach their kids how to sight read is not going to work for your kids. So you kind of have to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and that's literally what i did um, because learning how to sight read as an instrumentalist is different than as a vocalist and so that took me a while because there were no um there were no how to teach your kids how to sight read in the choral methods at any of the conferences i was like okay i need to learn how to do this 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 and this no one ever talks about that and so it's just like a crap shoot. and so you're like okay well how did you learn in high school? Well, we really didn't talk about sight reading until like performance assessment. So, you know, Um, and so sometimes you come from kids who've never sight read before um, in middle school or they've never been in choir before. And so I have to build from the bottom level. Um, And I got used to it um, when I was in, at my old at my old school at my old high school because i really didn't have any consistent feeders um and so i got used to starting from the ground level we use the same book i use sing at first sight by andy beck et al um that i've been using for the past oh my god 11 years <laughs> and so um we just go through and it's like a method book for um for chorus which was something that was needed as you know instrumentals have all these different method books they have essential essential musician and um all these other great things um and we didn't have one and so I didn't feel like the the books that we use the books that the textbooks that the the county ordered had the had really good choral method, uh, sight reading methods. And so I was just like, okay, let me use my book (laughs) cause it would jump from like no, uh, no sharps, no flats to like D major and A major. I was like, come on, come on. And so, you know, you start out slow and then you just scaffold up. And if the kids respond, if they do really well you keep moving forward. And if they have trouble, you just you know continue in that little section, and that's kind of how I go through every beginning of the year. It doesn't matter what level it is; we start page one, day one. <laughs> They're like, "Miss Pippin, we already know that." Uh huh. Okay, show me that you remember, and then we'll move on.
1: <laughs> Sorry. And I always like to be like, you think you've done this before? Imagine how many times I've done this before and I'm still learning from it. Right,
0: and then you know, you learn, you seem to learn something new or you see, okay, so I can like stop doing that, but I can add this instead. But yeah, it gets better. You, it definitely, it definitely takes time. It definitely took me a lot of time to figure out just exactly how my sight reading process went. So, yeah,
1: that is totally, totally my heart. I could like, yes, <laughs> A thousand percent. Yes. But this, this is not about finding connections between my experience and yours. I want to go back to something that you touched on, um, that I just think is so relevant is that, you know, putting the onus on kids mm-hmm. and responsibility on them and they will rise to the occasion because I feel like there's such a fear right to give a kid too much responsibility these mm-hmm. days
0: mm-hmm. yeah we um I definitely think that the students should have ownership um my kids design concerts um my kids pick what Contest music we're gonna do with guidance. Yeah. <laughs> um my kids make suggestions on what they want to sing for the winter concert. Um and we have a chorus council um that is kind of like our our select core group of students who volunteer their time to make the program better. So I'm all about student leadership and I mean usually our programs are usually the first experiences that the kids have with leadership opportunities, whether that's a section leader or a librarian, um, a timekeeper, um, whatever you need. Um, And a lot of times those are the same kids who get in trouble in other people's classes. Um, And so just that one little sliver of responsibility can completely change the trajectory of uh, of their, their school lives. Um, and so I'm definitely all for giving students the opportunity to lead and become leaders.
1: You also said that you allow kids to pick the assessment pieces, but with guidance. Mm-hmm. I would love to know, right? Like you hear, some people will say that, but they don't uh, always say like with guidance, even though I'm sure they do, but they're like, <laughs> my kids pick their own assessment music. And you're like, mm-hmm. So, A, I love that you said with guidance, because that's real talk. And then, B, I'm just curious, what then, because people don't always speak that really about it, what are some of the guidance, um, pieces of guidance that you put in, parameters that you put in for that?
0: So, I always try to, like, be one semester ahead when I'm thinking about music, Um, and so, Once the schedules are set and I know exactly who's going to be in what choir, I'm kind of able to say, okay, well, this is the level that we're going to be able to sight read at. I don't base it off of what we can read because my kid, I mean, what my, what my kids can sing because if I put anything in front of them early enough, they'll be able to get there, you know, Um, but it's all about what they could comfortably sight read at Um, and so I go through and I'll listen to maybe about 10 pieces and then I'll figure out my favorite couple of five. And then from there, um, I let the kids listen to those five and then they make their decisions collectively. Um, And sometimes I'll be like, okay, that's a hard one. But if you really wanna go there, I know my last year at Alcovy, um, my advanced girls chose two unaccompanied pieces. And I was like, oh my Lord, we, we did fine, but it wasn't like, um, it wasn't one of our best examples of our, um, of our large group performance evaluation, but they did well. They got, uh, superior ratings, but, (laughs) but it wasn't as they call it, Pittman perfect.
1: So (laughs) it happens. It happens. I like that. So, yes I, that was one of my questions like have you ever kind of regretted and be like oh my god I'm so like why am I letting them
0: pick this up again right okay so the piece we did we did the one piece was English and that was fine the other piece was it wasn't Scandinavian but it was a foreign language, and the kids were like, it's not coming. <laughs> I was like, look, like, we drilled that song so hard. It was a nice piece, nice concept, but if I could have went back, I would have chosen something that was accompanied, that had a little bit of help. <laughs> so...
1: I I know I'm thinking, I guarantee some people are thinking like, I have that song in my head right now that if I ever hear it again, it's still a day too soon because it brings all that back.
0: Yeah, that was the year that we went straight A, class A. Um, And I was just like, oh my Jesus, what are we doing? (laughs) Uh Uh But it was kind of like we came full circle because, you know, when I started at that school, my kids are it was class d and then you know well class c because i had all of my girls and then i was able to split and have a women's choir intermediate and then beginners so class c and then class d and then we moved our way up um and so yeah class a like that that is no
1: that is no small feat right there so so what do all the classes mean because we don't have that in North carolina and i'm unfamiliar with it okay so
0: um I know in the band world, there they have a number system. So there's one through six, um, and one is like beginner level, and then six is like, like top of the line, high school, college pieces yeah. and stuff like that. So we have in, in our realm of world, we use letters. Okay. Um, so class D would be like beginner level, um, and then you have C and then B level, and then A level. So we're able to choose one piece from one piece that's um, accompanied and one piece that's unaccompanied. And we now we can start where we can kind of like say, okay, well, I'm gonna choose one piece from the B list and then one piece from the C list. So, you know, you get that, that harder piece of music, but then the piece, the lower piece that you read is the level that you say I read so you can do mixed levels really great um but I tell my kids all the time and I tell my colleagues who listen <laughs> that's the important thing the ones who listen um that regardless of what level you go they should still sound like a million dollars just because they're singing in class dps or class one piece depending on you know where you are in the country that doesn't mean it sounds like poo (laughs) so I mean you still need to be working on tone you need to be working on balance um unison lines because unisons are harder than to sing than harmonies and if you can't sing in a unison how do you think you're gonna sing a harmony so you know it's like when I hear choir sometimes and I'm just like okay I understand you know your class whatever class d or whatever or you know you're just now starting but you have to start at the at the core level and make sure that tone is present and make sure that you're talking about vowels i was like don't just get these kids up here just doing something just to do something come on now you got tons of people who are in in the world in in your state in your county who could help you and i don't look down on people for for um for deciding they're going to go class D or decide they're not going to go for for ratings at all they're just going for comments I just want you to make sure that your kids are having a positive experience because they always come to high school and they talk about their middle school teacher (laughs) whether or not that's good or bad I don't want the kids to come to me and be like I had a really bad experience sight reading I don't like to do this or I had a really bad experience at contests I don't want to do it
1: so, there is such a stigma attached to the ratings that is oftentimes so detrimental to the possibility of a performance mm-hmm.
0: yeah um I tell my kids we do and I, I swear uh, uh, my kids are like They say (laughs) they're my minions. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't mean to do this to (laughs) y'all. But it's like, they're very, um, they become mini me's and real talk. And so we'll be in, I'll give them time to do sectionals. um, And my section leaders are just like, okay, so we need to do this. We need to go over this. We need to go over this. They'll have their own little little list of things (laughs) that they need to go over. And they're like, nope. Pittman's not gonna accept that. Let's go back and just do it again. And it's like, like I said, again, you know, giving the kids that ownership. And once they buy into it, once they buy into the vision, once they hear how amazing it sounds, they're like, oh no, we can never be any less than that. Um, And it's just all about knowing your kids, knowing their abilities, but be willing to kind of stretch, stretch the possibilities, because every year, I took it a step further with with the classifications. Every year, you know, I said, okay, I think that we can go to the next level, Um, and making sure that you're not, you don't become complacent. That's another thing. As as a director, um, you definitely want to make sure that you don't become complacent in what you're doing for your kids. You always want to be better. I know I always want to be better, so
1: it's that choir crack. Like when you hear that, that sound, right? Like you're like, I need more
0: of it. I want to get more. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, I love, I just like, I'm resonating so much with this because the way in which you're approaching this, not very many people can do, we're not often taught to do. And Mm -hmm. that is, that slowness right like people start here and they want to go all the way here immediately what I'm hearing you say is like you really own that process of like slow progression have you always been like that has this been something that okay (laughs) yes I have um it's
0: it's been like that. I've been that, that that way in most all of my all of the things that I've really liked to do Um, when I started playing flute, it did not come naturally to me. Um, I was very competitive and I'm still very competitive and my kids know that. (laughs) So, you know, if you're not, if you're not good at something, I I tell my kids, I was like, you have to learn how to practice. If you don't know how to practice that whole hour and a half that you just spent on that one piece of music is not going to help you. And so, um, I teach my kids how to practice because I had to learn how to practice. I didn't learn how to practice until I was like in college. So, you know, <laughs> I was, like effective practicing. Um, and so, you know, I was like, okay, if I would've learned how to do this in middle school and in high school, I just, I don't know where I would've been right now, you know? So um, definitely starting slower, getting help when I need it. Um, Cause I don't know everything in the choral world, especially coming from um someone who didn't have addiction class I um I didn't take coral pen until I got to my master's program um and so for me as a bright-eyed bushy tail student in 2010 in August I had to build a program from scratch I opened a school (laughs) so I I read a lot and I still do that now um I try to get you know everything I can from people who've already done it before and some things I can take and use some things I have to throw away because it doesn't fit the setting of my school and my students um but I do a lot of reading a lot of reading
1: so I think sometimes for folks that did like I never had addiction class um in my undergrad and my choral pad was taught by a band teacher no offense but like a hardcore band teacher like I've never taught choir a day in my life <laughs> and like I didn't know what Gordon or Kodai or like any of that was mm-hmm. um until I was like a couple years into teaching and people would say words out like that and you're like uh-huh uh uh-huh. you're like looking it up on the side whatever yeah. Right. <laughs> I, yeah yeah me, me too I uh, I do that code a lie thing yeah um a thousand percent but I think that is sometimes the biggest blessing because we don't take stuff for granted and mm-hmm. you know you have to really lean in and learn it on your own um so you mentioned your love of reading you mentioned your master's and you're actually getting your doctorate right now too mm-hmm. and like real close aren't yeah. you
0: yeah yeah
1: a semester
0: um yeah so um I'm I feel like a stalker me. for knowing that okay it's <laughs> okay I lurk and I stalk my favorite people on Instagram and Facebook all the time it's okay I was like oh my god they're pregnant oh my god <laughs> but it's like they're my friends in my head so I might not ever say anything until like I see you at like a, a national conference or something I was like oh my god I love you <laughs> So I won't talk about how I completely fangirled when I met Dr. Powell, Rose Powell for the first time, (laughs) but that's exactly what I did. I was like, oh my God, I love you. (laughs) But yeah, so, uh, (laughs) but definitely, definitely that definitely that <laughs>
1: there ain't like no real fandom like some choir fandom out there like yeah. I think on some level like the comic-con or like the other like sport yeah we love our um our choir people so you you have your what's your master's in is it in music My ed? masters in choral music ed okay and where did you get that
0: vandercook college of music in chicago
1: did you go to chicago
0: yeah they have um, a three summers program And so, yeah, I lived in Chicago with my best friend, thank God, uh, for six weeks every summer. Yeah, so it was cool. I rode the train. Um, I experienced Chicago food. I can't wait to go back. Thank you. Let's get rid of COVID, all right.
1: (laughs) I have, I love Chicago so much. Okay, so now people are listening to this going, oh, a summer program, like what made her choose a summer program? What made you choose a program?
0: <laughs> I didn't have to take my GRE, even though I had taken it before I left um, I left TSU, because at, at the time I was like, okay, if I don't get hired for a job, I'm gonna go back to school and get my master's in instrumental music. And actually I got into old Miss. <laughs> I got into old Miss um, um, for instrumental conducting. And, but then I got a job. So I was like, okay, I can either be another for college student for another three years or I could get a job. So I took the job and it was not banned. Um, I took three interviews. Um, one was solely banned and one was banned and chorus. And then one was choral and I got the choral job. And that kind of just pushed me on up there. And I never <laughs> looked
1: back that was the beginning of choir that's yeah. why you switched yep yeah.
0: mm-hmm.
1: which yeah. how many times did your professors tell you in college the reason why you're in another methods course is because you might end up teaching one of this one in a day and you know everyone's sitting there going, I'm gonna never teach this and then here we are
0: yes and it's funny whenever um my old um uh, my old ed, music ed professor She was like, can you come back and talk to the kids? I was like, absolutely, I will. And I was like, "Um, yeah, so whenever you think that you're not going to be teaching something, (laughs) let me tell you, proof positive (laughs) here that you're going to wind up, you know, teaching something else and loving it. I know tons of instrumental, um, instrumental folks who now teach elementary, and they said they would never, they would never do, you know, traditional band because, you know, the elementary world is is magical to them um okay my dog is running he has the zoomies and i'm about to. thank you (laughs) so he's just running around (laughs) oh but you know they'll they'll never teach that again and i was just like i i get you but you know they still get their instrumental feel by helping out with band camps and stuff and i do i still do that too um I swear, I play at least one contest every <laughs> every year for a friend. And they're like, I need a C instrument to play this. Can you play this?
1: I'm like, yes. So, you know, I love it. Think about that. Pippen, so. You're like always on deck as the C instrument. Like, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. I love it because the kids and they see, oh my gosh, you know, Miss Pippen does this and she does this. And I was like, yeah, you know, I don't just completely, I don't just, Power down, and you put me in the closet in my classroom. You know, I am a person.
1: <laughs> you are this multifaceted musicianship, and they get to see you be like performer, collaborator, and not mm-hmm. conductor. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Okay, so you took that choral job, and that then began that transition. It wasn't like a conscious decision to go and and uh, to do choir. That's just where it worked
0: out. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because um, when I was in high school. Um, I was in band and choir, of course, and I was in full orchestra because I played the flute in a full orchestra. <laughs> so, you know, I was just bouncing around. <laughs> Let me tell you, my senior year, I was at contests like, four times, and my, st- my other teachers could not stand
1: it. <laughs> they were like, you need to be in class.
0: I was like, uh, no, no, I'm going to... <laughs> Insert com- to competition here, so wow. it was fun. It was a good time in March, um, <laughs> but yeah, I was just bounced around. I was um, I was in everything, and I think that also made me more open um, when I got ready to go to college um, to be doing all, be able to be exposed to all these different things. Um, and then you know, my high school teacher, my high school band teacher. Um, Shout out to Mr. Davis and my high school chorus teacher. Shout out to the soon-to-be Dr. Stoner, who actually teaches at MLK in Nashville now. Um, So... They were actually in in the office having a conversation. I was like, um, I think I might want to teach course when I'm in uh, when I get out. And my band director is like, No, you're gonna teach me. <laughs> and literally, they had a five minute conversation about that. And it's funny when I see them at state conferences, like last year, um, uh, uh, Stoner was. Uh, doing a session and he was like I remember that conversation and I won
1: (laughs) so yeah you never know you really never know yeah Yeah. um this is side note where did you student teach in Nashville
0: I taught at McGavick and um my elementary placement was at Whitsitt elementary I think um, but that's a whole nother story. So snowstorm at the beginning of January and then the flood of 2010. So <laughs> that was that <a, laughs> that placement was was interesting. I was like, am I gonna graduate? We we stopped going to school in like April. <laughs> so,
1: you know, it's crazy. It was crazy. That's right. That's right. So that's so funny. I student taught at HIMFOG. Right mm-hmm. downtown and Scales, which was in Brentwood. Mm-hmm. um But I was living downtown during that flood. Now, mind you, I was living in downtown Nashville in 2010, which is very different from downtown Nashville in 2011. My rent was like 650. Oh my gosh! Like, I mean, we had a steal. So I'm not thinking, having anyone thinking I was out here living like some bougie downtown Nashville life, but. But yeah, that was crazy. I can't imagine student teaching during that. Almost like student
0: teaching during a pandemic. Yes. Oh my gosh. I feel so bad for my stu- for those student teachers. But they're making it work. They're making it work. Um, I had a partnership in um, in the fall with with UGA, with um, one of the voice teachers who taught uh, vocal ped. Um, and the kids came in, well, kids, they're grown, <laughs> the students came in uh, on Wednesdays and they taught um, a class, um, one class in the mornings. And I was like, oh, this is so cute. And this is while we were still hybrid. So, it, well, it was while we were still virtual. So it worked out perfectly um and so they just came in and they had some experience teaching and you know got some got some of their hours done I was like hey it is what it is we might not like that this is the way we're doing it but they're still getting that experience so
1: well and we can still make music and be musical and learn music online even though even though it looks different hmm so you mentioned this slow growth, so you got your master's and now what is your doctoral program that you're in?
0: I'm at the University of Georgia and I am in the EDD program for music education. Um, I am the last of that program. Uh, so <laughs> um, now you know their focus is, is pushing, um, pushing the, the PhD program, which is full-time. Um, which I understand, but you know, if you're a practicing teacher and you don't want to stop teaching, you know, having that Edd program is really good. So it's, um, it was a three summers program. And then you start working on your, your doc, your, your dissertation. <clears throat> and so I feel like I've been in this program forever. It's the longest time that I've been in school. <laughs> it's the longest time that I've been in, in a coll- collegiate setting. Um, so I'm just ready to go. And um. I was like, oh, geez, am I going to finish? Yes. Okay, let me finish. <laughs> so, mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. what is your, is dis- <laughs> What's your dissertation on? Um, my dissertation <clears throat> is on uh, music equity, and I'm examining the use of NAFME's uh, Opportunity to Learn standards in Title I schools and non Title I schools. So, I'm um, a lot of people don't know about the Opportunity to Learn standards. and and (laughs) and so the opportunity to learn standards are basically like um the the standards the classroom standards that you have for curriculum instead of it being on curriculum based solely you have standards over the facilities the technology um the content that you teach the staffing of the class as well as the curriculum so they give you the optimal way to have a standards-based classroom a whole standards-based classroom and so it's not like regimented it's not mandated <clears throat> it's kind of like a suggestion um and so i basically took eight questions from the opportunity learn standards and i created a survey um and i asked if they taught at Title I schools or non-Title I. I asked um, how many students were in their school, what their school budget was. And then I had them take those eight questions and check box yes or no, whether or not that that was seen in their programs. Um, And I've just been analyzing the data and seeing the differences, if there were any, between Title I and non-Title I schools. And also, hoping to kind of just get the opportunity to learn standards on more people's radars um, because the opportunity to learn standards are from our national music organization. And so that can kind of give them the teacher or um, the advising fine arts coordinator some leverage to say, hey, can we get some funds over here? (laughs) So, you know, the, the little funds that we do have, but yeah, it's just an opportunity, you know, to to examine what's going on. Um, I floated around doing a couple things just based solely on Title One, but I did want to compare um, so that people realize that yeah, we might be getting funds because they're designated Title One, but those funds usually typically only go to tested subjects, so math, um, reading, things of that nature. So. Um, a lot of digging, and because of my dissertation, I my eyes were opened up to a lot of stuff, funky stuff that was going on in in ed and ed policy, which is where I am right now, and where you see me on social media. <laughs> so yes, um, my dissertation kind of opened my eyes um, about um, the issues that we have in our current uh, American education system.
1: Um, and let's go. Can we jump into some of them? E- oh, geez. I mean. <laughs> for context too, one of you know I think what I experienced as a teacher and what I know so many other teachers and not just at like a k-12 setting but at a collegiate setting too there is such a fear of retribution for speaking out about what you're seeing and what you're hearing and what your experience is I even still feel it some being fully out of the classroom now and like how, how to show up, but we have to tell these stories and we have to say things. And, um, and Shantae is like just killing it by just being open and real and honest and having TikToks talks and sharing it on social media. And I don't know if I would have the balls to be able to do that. Definitely full in the classroom. And I know other teachers don't, but it's just inspirational to see that. But I know it doesn't come without nuances of emotion tied with it as well
0: yeah um when i was at my old school district um for seven years it was i would never i would have never talked about anything political um you know i would you know keep that to my own little private you know little inner circle but once i got to um my new school district and i was just like i have a supportive admin my fine arts uh ap was a course director, um, you know, and we're close. And I'm probably in the most diverse situation that I could be in in that specific county. Um, and so I felt the need to be a little bit more open. Um, I have several administrators who follow me on social media. I I don't miss words because it's 2021. I mean, come on now, <laughs> we can't continue to, you know, be in the status quo and think that's okay, especially during a pandemic. because the only thing that that the pandemic showed us was the inequity uh, that exists in American <laughs> American education system. Like the reason <laughs> so so much. So the reason you want to open schools is to help the economy. <laughs> but you literally just like cut the education funding, for the schools, like almost like a trillion dollars off of the budget. But now you're having to send us money to try to open schools to mitigate the spread of coronavirus by making sure that we have the things that we should have had in the first place. (laughs) So it's like, oh my gosh, okay, all right. And then, you know, a lot of people are hemorrhaging teachers I was like we had a teacher shortage before this pandemic what people don't realize and it's like you know I I say all the time I was like I'm not gonna argue with strangers on the internet (laughs) but they're like okay if you don't want to do your job then just quit okay so then what And every time I ask them, so then what? Who's going to teach your kids? (laughs) Who's going to have that wealth of that that content? Who's going to have that wealth of knowledge of how to actually teach? Because a lot of people just like, oh, I can teach. I can teach. I'm like, no, no, no. There is a method. (laughs) There is a method to it all. Why do you think we're in school for so long? (laughs) And it's crazy. it's just like a lot of inequities. And I'm just like, you know, you have the people making the laws for american public ed who have never experienced public education their kids don't go to ed- their kids don't go to public schools they go to private schools and then with the outgoing secretary of education she who must not be named call exactly. her professor umbridge but <laughs> but i was like this lady spent her life making money off of for-profit private schools literally funneling money from our public school systems to give to private schools, question mark, question mark. And so, you know, being in this this doctorate, uh, this doctoral program really just opened my eyes on education law and policy. And I was just like, I kind of missed my, po- my calling. I should have been an ed law um, lawyer. And I still think that uh, that might come about a little later on. Uh, a lot of people are like, Shantae Pittman for state superintendent. I was like, Y'all not ready for me. Y'all not. It won't happen. (laughs) We're gonna have so many rural people mad at me. (laughs) That's so many people mad at me. But yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and it's not it you find that it's not just about. Um, it's not just about the urban schools, it's not just about the suburban schools, it's not just about the rural schools. You have to figure out what is best for all of our kids. And people are kind of like trying to piecemeal it together. And I'm just like, why don't you ask people who are in the classroom? They never ask us, and that's part of the problem. They never ask us, and they never ask the students either. So, you know, I'm like, you might think you're getting what the students want by asking their parents, but their
1: parents don't know either. Right. Right. Well, I think that's one of the hardest things about education is everyone thinks they know how to do it because they've lived it. But I've said it once. I've said it a thousand times. If I knew what being a teacher was like before being a teacher, and I thought I did, having been a student on God's green earth, I mean, I will never Um, I'm so grateful that I did it will like never change anything for the time for that time in the world but by golly if I knew I don't know if I'd go back and do it again like because it's just so different
0: yeah yeah we don't see the long hours we don't see you know when when our teachers assign us an essay that they're literally never gonna be, they probably would never be able to grade it during their planning period. They have to take that stuff home. They have to read it um, and grade on the weekends. I was just like, I was looking at TikTok and I love teacher TikTok now. I'm just like, oh my gosh, yes, these are my people. And it's like, yes we need to pay, we need to work our wage, we need to work our wage, and I was like, that makes a lot of sense, and since then, I do not spend more than about 15 minutes after, after school every day, and I'm gone, I was like, I'm, I cannot, especially in, in this situation, but I know now that that's definitely going to carry over when we get to our new normal outside of the pandemic. I was like, I'm not about to be killing myself. I mean, you know, we'll do some things and, you know, we'll have these after school rehearsals, but that's about it. I mean, if I don't have rehearsal, I'm out.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think I was never one to be able to stay super late for a variety of reasons. Like, A, a lot of times I was heading to another job to make ends meet, right? And so I don't know how some of these teachers that do it late at night, but B, like I was just so overstimulated at the end of the day. I I just couldn't. Um, and and then a lot of other things, but I think that's the line that we have to hold ourselves accountable to and our colleagues accountable to, right? Like, um, there's an influencer that I at first heard this phrase, from, and I'm not like a big supporter of her anyway. So I like hesitate to say this, but, um, I just mentioned that I did not come up with this, but it's that busy is not a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. And I think we wear that oftentimes mm-hmm. as musicians and as, uh, choir teachers mm-hmm yeah
0: I know I kind <clears> of <throat> I had to talk some of my band director friends down a little bit um during the fall because they were like you know some people were were able to have a full marching band season and go to compositions and stuff and others like my county they shut all of that down and it was pretty much like they just did like pep pep band at the games and so you have um like some of my colleagues are still completely virtual and they will remain virtual for the rest of the semester and so they didn't have any kind of um output with the marching band and they're just like I don't know what this feels like I'm going home like regular on a Friday night and it's just like I don't know what to do with myself I was like go sit on your back porch and enjoy (laughs) Yeah. Like, I was like, you got to take it when you can, because, you know, I, I'm hoping that they took a lot of time to reflect on how much of their selves that they've been giving to these jobs. And clearly, <laughs> they're not, you know, they're not reaping the, the benefit of getting that same, you know, support back. Um, and so I'm hoping that some of the reflection time sticks, Uh, with a lot of my colleagues, because I know a lot of us are struggling um, right now. And I know I went through, when we shut down in the March, I went through a terrible time um, with my anxiety and depression. Um, And it was just rough. Like, I have literally felt like I don't know what I'm doing. I'm literally like floating. What what am I supposed to be doing with my kids? What am I supposed to be doing for my kids? Um, and you know, since we have some semblance of a plan this fall, it hasn't been as bad. Um, it hasn't been bad at all, actually, um, because I'm able to actually interact with my students. Um, in the spring, we didn't um, we didn't know we were going to do like live classes or <clears throat> async classes or whatever because we didn't know how long we were going to be out we were only supposed to be out for two weeks and then two weeks became four weeks (laughs) and then they finally just pulled the plug and said okay we're gonna we're gonna call it
1: and so we were just like wow so yeah i know that you're not the only one um and appreciate you sharing that because it is that balance of finding ourselves and Amidst all of this and all the emotional stuff that takes into our families and then our routines, are, and we're we also like find ourselves in staying busy and and in making in the music, and it has been, I think, for everyone, just such a roller coaster. We say that word all the time. I feel like in relation to this, but a roller coaster of anxiety and depression for, you know, I don't know if you have a history with that. I I do. And so for those of us that do have histories with that, and then possibly for those people that have never had histories with it before too, and Mm -hmm. figuring out what is this and how, how do I cope? And, um, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just wish
0: sometimes I, you know, that whole push for social emotional learning, I was like, well, in the music world, we do this all the time. Like, I swear, <laughs> get have us sing a really good song, have us sing Oh Love, have us have us sing Um Weep No More by Childs, and you know, we on stage crying. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it was like we, we make that connection, and it's kind of like that connection was severed in the springtime. Um, and luckily. We've been able to, you know, bring some sort of semblance of that back, um, and you know, more purposefully um, include SEL in what we do, um, and getting all of our other all of our other colleagues to, you know, to SEL as well. Um, and I'm just like, yeah. I mean, even if you only have kids for a semester, or you only have kids for a year get to know the kids, get to understand where, where they're coming from and what experiences that they have, because that can influence you a lot more than the content that you teach. And that's how you become their favorite teacher. I mean, that's not, shouldn't be the goal, but you know, that's how, you know, you get to understand the kids and the kids feel like they can come to you and confide in you. Um, And sometimes I'm like, okay, well, just come sit on the couch, babe. (laughs) So I have a futon specifically for my students. So,
1: (laughs) so, you know, there's something about like having that chair that makes you feel like you're at home um, in an office or like an area of the room or something like that. Well, I am so excited to see, where this slow progression, slow build of Shantae Pittman takes you next. Um, do you do you think at some point you'll teach at a university level or are you just kind of wait in to see if you'll a <clears throat> school district first? Um
0: I could see myself doing that I'm probably more so on an adjunct level. Um I would love to teach choral methods. Um and that be the only thing I teach at the collegiate level and still teach my job. <laughs> because I'm very close to Georgia State and I'm also very close to Kennesaw State. Um, and so I would love to do that. Um, I don't know if I would go to full-time, probably until I'm able to retire. I'm able to retire really early. So I can retire at 52 from public school teaching. Um, and I was like, huh, oh, 52 is young, honey okay (laughs) (laughs) give me another job you know and you know still be teaching and um you know really just digging in I I definitely want to something that'll happen sooner than later is me writing my um I'm wanting to write a choral methods book um just to kind of explain my thinking um and also um another project that I'm working on about um uh racism in music education um and so some things in the works that are going in the works there so we'll see how things play out
1: (laughs) so people want to keep up with you um and know about these upcoming things they can follow you on instagram Mm -hmm. What is is that the best way um instagram I'm TikTok.
0: TikTok pretty much. Yes. <laughs> TikTok. I'm actually just like a lurker on TikTok right now. Sometimes I'll respond. Sometimes I have videos. It's just really kind of random, um, but definitely, um, Instagram and Twitter. I'm at future doc P, um, soon to be the doc P with, when- <laughs> right. So, um, definitely there. Um, if you happen to find me, you can follow me on um, Facebook. I don't have any room for any new friends. Sorry, guys. But <laughs> you can still follow me. <laughs> um, all of my stuff is public. So a lot of times people like will reshare what I say. And I'm like, I don't care. Whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah. I love that. Well, thank you for just, A, being on the podcast today. I, like, we could extend this probably even into longer hours, but I, um, I just have really appreciated and been, um, motivated convicted, like in a good way, right. To, um, to share more openly on social, um, and also being in Georgia, you have had such a monumental political um, season. I don't know if that's the right word, year um, to <laughs> to describe it. But I think that is so important for us to all see that, um, you know, like you said, your first school, you weren't necessarily in a place to where you maybe would share as openly you do now or, or vice versa. And it all depends. It all has to read. But like you can get to that place and and. And we do, we have to start sharing more openly because to your point, it's 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our
0: current NAFMI president um, said in her <coughs> in her ending address um, at our tech conference this year that school doesn't exist in a bubble. Politics, school is polit- political. So we have to stop treating it like it's, in a bubble and we have to re- be realistic about these things. Um, and it was like, you're not, you, you shouldn't have to feel like, you know, what you believe in is just so terrible that you can't share. <laughs> the only reason why you wouldn't want to share is if you were ashamed, yes? So. <laughs> hey, I'm like
1: waving my hand over here. I don't have a hanky, <laughs> but I basically. Yeah. So I was like,
0: the only reason you wouldn't want to share is if, you know, you are ashamed. And the only reason that you would be ashamed is if, you know, the law and policy of your political party is oppressing the humanity of the others or the people that you teach. I don't know, you know, what am I? (laughs) I'm just a radical liberal, you know.
1: Indoctrinating the minds of young children,
0: yeah, Yeah.
1: exactly. Let me
0: tell you, Gen Z is not with. Look, those kids. Whatever us millennials are able to get done in our lifetime, the Gen uh, Gen Z is going to ram it on through. I just hope that these people are ready for it, because those kids are fighters, and I'm so proud that I'm able to teach them every single day. So. Thank you, Shantae. Thank you.
1: Hey, Choir Baton listeners. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you are a Choir Baton teaching member, I want to encourage you to log into your account as soon as possible today. We have just completely up leveled the look and the feel of the teaching membership for you to be able to find information faster and quicker, whether you are in person teaching, remote teaching, or hybrid teaching during this time. If you're not a member of the teaching membership and want to be, make sure you head to our website and join the waiting list so that when we do open that for new members, you get an email notification saying that now is the time to join as always thank you again for listening to the choir baton podcast thank you to maggie for her awesome editing producing skills you can listen to the podcast on any platform and also watch it on youtube as well at youtube.com slash baton and as always let's keep more people singing